What happened? Okay. All right. Austin, oh, just in time. You ready? Why are you wearing that hat? <laughs> We're playing right now, Buck. All right. Hold on. You sound muffled again. Mother of God. Yeah, dude, we got to fix the format. It's not muffled. It's just like kind of low volume. Yeah, he sounds almost away in a sense. Okay, that should be better. Yes, there it is. There it is. Okay. All right. Infamous countdown. Three, two, one. Drum roll, please. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome to the Great Earth Podcast. One half your favorite fat duo. That's me, Tony Trujillo, with my other half, Austin Rollison. We have a guest with us tonight. Author, political person as well. It's definitely been followed by the news. Uh, we're going to let him tell you more, but we have Mr. Narish Visa. Did I say that right? I didn't that, butcher that, your name. That's actually, no, that's very close. It's Narish Okay. <laughs> That's the closest anyone's gotten without rehearsing. Okay, per, I was I was gonna say like I had to look it up just to make sure, but man, I'm I'm terrible with names. <laughs> Back ten but, minutes later, Tony's in his bathroom looking in the mirror, <laughs> repeating it over and over again. <laughs> <clears throat> now, um, for those of you that don't know, uh, this gentleman has been pretty much covered by Newsmax, CNN. Uh, a couple of sources, but I'd like to hear in his words his story. So, Naresh, can you just give us a little bit about you? I mean, uh, you know, your background, where you come from, who, you, why you are, who you are, or the man you are now. There we go. Let me let me answer that question by first starting out with who I am, my background, and how that ties into the political stuff you brought up, CNN, Newsmax. So. <laughs> So I have very solid work experience, in my opinion. I've got degrees, undergrad and master's, just a quick rundown uh, that'll help explain my background and what my expertise lies in, what I studied, wh wh what I've worked in, where I've worked. So I have degrees, undergrad and master's from probably some top uh, institutions in finance, accounting, business, management, public communications, broadcast and digital journalism. So that's what my that's what I studied. I worked at some big name companies that that everyone's heard of, places like JP Morgan Chase. Uh, I worked at the largest financial marketing and publishing company in the world in Baltimore called Agora Publishing, and at the time, their largest subsidiary, Sansbury Research. Uh, it was when I was working full-time in media and finance that I learned about online and digital marketing about 12 years ago. And I really liked the tech side of things and online and digital. I started my first company, Krish Media and Marketing, in 2013, so about almost 11 years ago. Went out on my own, still run it today, and it's been great. I've worked in an array of industries doing online and digital as well as well, media marketing as well as tech work for various clients. It's taking me around the world, speaking at conferences, visiting clients, et cetera, et cetera. So that's been great. It's been a lot of fun, uh, absolutely worthwhile. With that being said, um, how did I get into, well, I'll also throw in before how I got into the political stuff. Uh, 
also became through my work at Krish Media Marketing, a real estate investor, have a company called Krish Capital, uh, own, it's, I would still call it in, in the startup phase, but uh, own a decent amount of, of real estate uh, around the country, especially Southeastern United States. Now, what happened in 2020, I didn't really follow politics much uh, until 2015, you could say. So you can say Donald Trump was the reason why I started following politics, because I thought he was a one in a once in a century type of candidate. He's not your stereotypical U.S. political candidate. He was dominating the news. He was dominating social media. And right, it got me right. interested simply because of that. I was just like, why does everyone care about this guy? Why is everybody talking about him? So um, I didn't vote in in 20 and at the end of 2012 i said i'm, I'm just not going to vote again <clears throat> voting i'm disillusioned by the entire process so i didn't vote but i followed 2016 and uh when trump won which i i thought he would win despite him losing in every poll imaginable when he ran and won i wrote a book called <clears throat> you brought up earlier called Trump book, how digital liberals silence the nation to making America hate again. And it went into not really the politics, but about online and digital details on why Trump, why his haters were actually his biggest supporters, which I still think applies today. Why the indictments, why his haters, why the people who want to see him thrown in prison are actually his biggest supporters today. They don't even know it. Um, so I wrote a, wrote a book about that topic, and then in 2020, Bloomberg did a piece on me. They came to my house, filmed me, recorded me, uh, took pictures, published it in what was the definitely the most followed election, probably in U.S. history, simply because everyone was locked down. Just right, right. News. So came out with Bloomberg, uh, or <coughs> Bloomberg came out with a piece that led to more media, more podcast interviews, more video interviews. Uh, speaking at nonprofits, then uh, I went viral after having a webinar with Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith out of Mississippi because of something that I told her regarding how I used to be a Democrat who voted for Obama and then talking about my evolution, how I changed and why the radical left is just truly radical and this country is on the path to socialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That went viral. Uh, ended up getting more media, earned a panelist spot on Newsmax TV, was a panelist for about two years, and then they kind of pushed me up to CNN earlier this year, and I've been on CNN two or three times this year as well, talking about political issues, uh, part of it coming from a parental side. I'm a parent to two very young boys. I live in Florida, just for some context. Uh, so that's a quick rundown of who I am, what I do, and how I got involved in politics. Perfect. Hey, and also, man, uh, we are happy to have you here. A lot of people don't want to come on the show, especially when it's political, just because. So we're a show that we have a lot of fun. We go everywhere. I mean, we'll talk music, movies, comic books, politics. But Austin and I are also very open about the fact that we're republicans what well, conservative republicans you know like that kind of stumps people so i do appreciate you being here and there is something i would like to talk about because this is something that we haven't talked about on the show yet we've covered a lot of political topics but we've never actually went in detail about 
critical race theory. We've mentioned it, but we've never really gone into it that much. And it's something, see, here's the thing. The reason I don't talk about it much is because I'm not an expert by any means. I, I only know the definition and the idea of what it's what it's supposed to do and versus what it actually is doing. But if you're okay with that, I would like to take this time to talk about critical race theory. Um, if you wouldn't mind, well, actually, Austin, before I jump right into it, did you have any questions or anything like that? No, I'm ready to, to jump into it and talk about how absolutely moronic it all is. <laughs> yeah, and, and I want to preface, as we talk about critical race theory, I see Austin with a Nikki Haley t-shirt, and I, I bring that up because even though I'm, I'm not a Nikki Haley fan, I'm, I'm not going to be voting for her if she's a nominee, but even though we may not vote for the same people, there are issues and topics that I think we will absolutely agree on, and critical race theory and why we should be against it is a topic that I think we can certainly agree on. Uh, and, and I'd love to discuss this some more because I love talking about critical race theory. I brought up, I have two young children who are very likely going to be going through the public school system. And on the one hand, I have a libertarian bent of parents are responsible for their children's educations. At the same time, you send your kids off to public school, parents can be responsible, but at the end of the day, they're going to public school and yeah. who knows what they're gonna be learning in public school. And uh, I'm just very pleased and happy that we have a governor who is an advocate for Ron Santos, and he has been an advocate for education for, for parents since 2020 when those lockdowns spread throughout the country well and one thing i want to say about you said you have a libertarian bent i think the core of libertarianism is right small communities and um, local control and so that is a hundred percent your school board's responsibility to to build because school boards are usually made up of parents and and so it is libertarian to believe that your school board should take an active role and parents should take an active role in their school boards in writing curriculum for their schools um, where it gets dangerous is um, when we have a, this group of right-wing populists who want to use state and federal governments to cram down education policy, um, which your governor there in Florida um, talked about. And so that, that I want to, I want to, fighting critical race theory I got, I, I've talked to a lot of libertarians and they're like, oh, it's not our job as the government to tell people what they can and can't teach. But I, I think people, I think people misunderstand a lot of the time when we talk about fighting critical race theory, this isn't on a federal level. This isn't, this isn't even necessarily all on a state level. It, it's important to work on that in your, um, in your local school districts, your local um, school boards, which here in Colorado and a bunch of other states across the country, School board elections start here in Colorado. Your uh, ballots went out today. You got school board members, um, so make sure you go out there and vote. In a bunch of other states, you're gonna have a bunch of early balloting going out here soon. Go out and vote, and your school board elections are very, very, very important. Well, here's where I somewhat disagree with you. I, 
You're absolutely <clears throat> right in that politics should be as localized as possible from a libertarian perspective, whether it's a vaccine mandate or school closures or lockdowns. There's no reason for South Dakota to be shutting down everything that it does or some tiny county in South Dakota of of 500 people to be shutting down where they didn't have a single case of, of COVID and following the same policy that say in New York City or an entire state of California is doing, it should all be localized, whether we're talking about pandemic or we're talking about schools. I absolutely agree with you on that end. Where I do disagree with you is what you said about uh, the federal government. The federal government is absolutely in charge of or has a major piece a major they're a major player in our school system if you look at the department of education itself the first off what does the department of education even do people don't really understand because you're talking about a school board which is supposed to be the central body that dictates education policy for that local area or that local region but the federal government and the department of education is coming in and saying, hey, you're a poorly performing school, or you might be a good performing school, but we have this grant and we'd be glad to give you this grant, but in return for us giving you this grant, you must teach these ideological, critical CRT, BLM, DEI, all, all these three letter acronyms that are meant to confuse people. Uh, you must teach these things to your students and in return, you do get this funding. And this so, is why we have to abolish the the federal Department of Education. There you go. I think we can. I think we Burn can burn it down. <laughs> I, well, I think we can absolutely agree with that. And and we we haven't answered. And I, and I, I can't wait to get into actual CRT and critical race theory and what it is and uh, what it is at the end of the day and why it's bad for capitalism, why it's bad for meritocracy. But uh, yeah, you and I absolutely agree that it's not just the Department of Education or the DOE, as they call it, but it's multiple government organizations from the IRS to the FBI to the DOE to the or the Department of Energy, the Department of Education that are holding our students back, holding our economy back in this in the case of the Department of Energy. Uh, holding small business and entrepreneurship back in the case of the IRS. The list goes on and on and on and on. And what I'm saying is not people are going to listen and be like, oh, so you are you an anarchist? You just think there should be nothing. And I'm saying no, I'm just saying many of these institutions need to be shut down, consolidated, merged, just like just like any other industry. If we look at the oil and gas industry, <clears throat> you see large oil corporations shutting down, not shutting down, but getting acquired, bought, going bankrupt, left, right? Today, Rite Aid uh, uh, Pharmacy filed for bankruptcy, Chapter 11. So there's consolidation in that space. And I think it's time for consolidation in the federal government. So that doesn't mean FBI agents disappear. That just means that uh, they'll be they'll be transferred to a different department and the best players keep their jobs and the worst players don't. The dinosaurs who have been in government for decades and decades, they can go collect their pension or find honest work in the private sector. But with technology, with artificial intelligence, we look at the layoffs that have happened just in the tech space over the past year. There's no reason why the government can't do the same. Yeah, the um, major, that's the old Rick Perry line, consolidate and localize. Um, 
And so Rick Perry was my governor. I grew up in Texas. And, 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 and I'll say this. I've lived, just to follow up on the beginning when I told you a little bit about myself, I've lived in, I think, six different cities, maybe five different states. I've had some really good, I don't want to say good, but I've had some very well-known politicians while I was living in those areas, uh, from George W. Bush to Rick Perry to uh, Andrew Cuomo. I mean, these are like big name people. Andrew Cuomo to Martin O'Malley, who ran for president in 2016 to uh, up until I moved to or, or up until the pandemic. Governor DeSantis is no doubt the best politician that I've ever lived under before him. Surprisingly, I think it was uh, Elliot Spitzer, who was governor of New York, and he ended up being removed from office because of, of, of a scandal. But I just wanted to to, to bring that up, that I, I have a geographic diversity as well, Democrat and Republican. Okay, well, for, for the people that are listening, can you define what critical race theory is? Because there's a lot of people that don't actually know what it means. They don't know what it means. And critical, I'm going to define it and, and then share why I think it's even in, in existence. So critical race theory, uh, it's called CRT. That's the, the short acronym that, that many people on the left used to call it. <clears throat> the T stands for theory. And that's very important to understand. Critical right. race theory is a theory. It's not a fact. It's not. Uh, right. It's not like, you know, the Declaration of Independence was written in 1776. It is a theory that is critical, that's where the C come from, comes from, of the white race. That's simply what it is. It is a theory that is critical of the white right. race. And it, it, it has been implemented in our school systems, not people, the myth is that, oh, it's a history <clears throat> class or it's how history right. is taught, and that's false. It is a theory that is implemented in every facet of education from math to science to history to geography to language to English it is a reason why we are seeing books, classic, I'm not talking about pornographic violent material that has been uh, somewhat, not banned, but, but somewhat close. removed yeah. from, from libraries in Florida. I'm talking about Mark Twain. I'm talking right. about Classics. Shakespeare. These books, I'm talking about Fahrenheit 451. These books have been banned because of ideas of critical race theory. It's the idea that, again, it's a theory that is critical of the white race. So if you're teaching students math, for example, rather than actually learning the math, the primary concept behind the math becomes that white is a racist subject, that is rooted in white supremacy. And as an Indian American, <clears throat> I can tell you that white is not a white supremacist subject. We were the inventors of math and we still hold, we are the kings of math. If you just look at the math portion of the SAT, 
uh, Asian American. This is why the critical race theory is a major reason why we saw the affirmative action case go up to the Supreme Court and why right. the Supreme Court overturned affirmative action. When you are racializing subjects like history and math and science that are meant to be conceptual, let's learn the actual facts and the material. And instead, there's a laziness that has overcome today's left. And that laziness, instead of working hard and learning the math and learning the history, reading the history, the laziness manifests itself by coming out with nonsense like critical race theory saying that, hey, I'm not good at this thing. I'm not good at making money. I'm not good at my job. I'm not good at math or history. So I'm just going to blame it on the white man, really, not even white women. I'm going to blame it on white people and the white man. That is what critical race theory is. It is the concept, once again, it is a theory that uh, of criticizing white people for really every problem that is wrong in society. And so what's rooted, the deep root of this is that the system, whether it's the education system or the government system, the political system, the legal system, the tourism system, you name it, every system is inherently racist. And by racist, it is white supremacist. That is the basis of critical race theory. It is completely, it is, I mean, the, whoever made it up, I, I'm not really sure. It, it, it was apparently made up decades ago. They really have a creative mind, whoever made it up. It, it's very creative. It, it's very catchy, but it's just not true. And we can get into those reasons because we have to dissect and get drilled down on why the legal system is not racist, why the police are not racist, why the education system is not, I mean, I can debunk every single one of the, why the political system is not racist. I can even give you one word answers. How about we do that? Political system, not racist. What are the easy answers? Maybe not one word answers, but current VP of the United States, half, half black, half Indian American, two presidents ago, president of the United States elected twice African American. So can't be racist. Uh, police system, or law enforcement can't be racist. Why? 20% of the police force, African-American. Another 20% of the police force, Hispanic-American. Another 20% of the police force after that, women, minorities, other, other ethnicities like Asian, Indian, uh, LGBTQIA, whatever they call it now these days. I mean, white men are a minority now or close to a minority amongst the police force, law enforcement. Uh, we want to talk about the education system, going back to the Supreme Court case that the, the the affirmative action case that the Supreme Court overturned. That was a case because it wasn't it wasn't black people who were being discriminated against. It wasn't Hispanic people or indigenous people who were being discriminated against. They were actually it was anti they were favored whereas it was the asian americans who were being discriminated it, that that case was brought on by a bunch of asian americans indian americans so again where are the white people in this situation not there uh what other oh the education system well i mean i just brought up the affirmative action in, in schools if we talk about the corporations if we talk about the economy and jobs 
I can tell you, okay, let's talk about tech. Well, the IT space, close to, if we were to look globally, a majority of the IT industry is Indian. Not in America, it's outsourced to India. If you look at the tech space here within the United States, again, white man is a minority. We look at the medical space, 20% of all practicing physicians in the United States are not are, are Indian American. They're not, uh, of course, you have white people are doctors too, but 20%, we, we consist, I'm an Indian American if you haven't noticed, we consist of less than 1% of the population, yet 20% of us are doctors. Fortune 500 CEOs, presidents, or chair people, chairmen, chairwomen, five, approximately 5% Indian American, despite us being less than 1% of the population. So this idea that a bunch of white supremacists control every, every sphere of our lives and are continuing to reign supreme is patently false. And if you look at the Republican Party, at least the radical left calls the Republican Party a bunch of racists. Well, just look at look at the top four people in the race or the top five people in the race right now. You've got a black man, Tim Scott. You've got an Indian American woman, Nikki Haley. You've got an Indian American man, Vivek Ramaswamy. That's three out of the top five people, 60 percent, who are people of color. And not that it matters. None of this matters. I mean, I don't vote for anyone or hire anyone because of their color. I'm not, oh, this person is from this country or has a skin color or something. No, I, I hire and most people make their decisions from changing their tires to the doctors that they go to. They make their decisions not because of the color of the skin. They make their decisions because, hey, I need my tire changed. I just want to find the guy who's going to charge the lowest price and who changes the tire properly. Whether the person is brown or black or yellow, it doesn't matter. It doesn't and the, matter at all. And the unfortunate fact is these Democrats who espouse this idea most of the time, they know it's not true themselves. But the honest fact is these people have a disdain for the system. They want to burn it down. They want to burn it down so they can try to rebuild it. And the only way to do that is to convince a large group of people that the systems are evil. And the easiest, I like how you use lazy, the easiest and most lazy way to destroy a system is to label it as racist. And so they have gone around and labeled everything from, from Mrs. Butterworth on the syrup container yeah. all the way to traffic lights to, as being racist so that they can loop these all together in one giant system and burn it all to the ground. Well, it's... I, I truly do believe, I, I don't think the leaders, that most of the Democrat leaders are that, there's no other way to put it. I don't think they're that stupid. I, I think they have a, a cohort who they know believes these things, but I don't think the actual leaders are that stupid. And I think that's where this concept of a uniparty is actually a good thing, because really the Democrat leaders from Biden to Schumer to Pelosi are on the same page as the establishment GOP leaders like Mitt Romney and even some of the people running right now, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie. They're on the same page on these issues. Like, hey, education is a good thing. Like, learning math is is a good thing. Um, right. Kids going to school is is a good thing. But the left, to me, has gone so far off the rails. And all you have to do 
is just turn on your Twitter feeds or your TikToks and see the left. Okay, they don't like math. Fine. They don't like history. They think everything's racist. Fine. Look at these riots that are taking place. Right, exactly. The radical left has come out with their blue hair or purple hair or whatever, and they're at these riots, and they're screaming, death to Jews, burn the Jews, gas the Jews. Really racist stuff, yeah. Ironic. I I mean, if if this, to me, this is the ultimate wake-up call because uh, I have many, I've I've been talking to tens of Jewish friends or who, who I became friends with over the past 25 years or so. I've been talking to them over the past 10 days and many of them, I mean, the, the, the Jewish population as a whole historically has voted Democrat, has been very left-leaning, and they're absolutely shaken by seeing not a bunch of right-wing lunatics, not a bunch of January 6th people going out and saying these things, but people on the left. It's only people on the left who are going out and saying these things in public. And so hopefully this is a wake-up call, like, hey, I'm on the wrong side of, of where I need to be. Yeah. You know, this ain't even about religion or, or geography. This is purely just about humanity. <laughs> and the GOP has a very unique opportunity this election cycle. To, they still have – it looks like they're going to have the same kind of electoral advantage they had four years ago. And here – or two years ago. And here's the problem. Are Republicans going to elect people who are smart, who can win elections, and um, who actually live in the state in some um, options? Or are they going to elect people who are busy fighting lawsuits, unelectable, have giant baggages already onto them, or um, people who can't write speech, can't write or recite speeches, uh, Republicans have an opportunity to win a bunch of elections, and by winning those elections, get a lot of stuff done that's going to be really good for our country, both on state, local, and federal level. Are they going to do? Are they going to elect good people? Pennsylvania seemed to learn their lesson. Uh, we'll see if any of the other states actually learn their lesson. You bring up a good topic. Uh, it's not really a policy topic. It, it's more just pure, pure political. I, I will say this, uh, like you, I'm, I'm very disillusioned by Trump and, and the Trump movement. I think the America First movement is an incredible movement that should be here to stay, and other he should pass the torch down to people who will continue with the movement. But the personality, uh, Trump's personality, is obviously super divisive, not just divisive, but I, I don't think he's fit anymore. I, I thought it was a good experiment to try. I thought he was the best president that we had in my lifetime uh, for the first three years. But uh, the fact of the matter is he's now running based off of vengeance and grievance. He wants he's people... insanely popular, too. He's, he's, he's fundraised billions of dollars. I'm not and doubting he hasn't spent a single cent... On running for president, he's used it all in his legal defense. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting any of that. He is a juggernaut. He's a behemoth. He knows how to get the ratings. He knows how to, 
he's got his base is huge and and look he's he's unless something happens to his health he's going to be the nominee what i'm saying here is i don't think he's going to be the best nominee to beat even a corpse that is joe biden can trump win i don't think the democrats I, i think they've actually planned this out like i said the leaders are much smarter than than the cohort the people right. who are voting for them. And so I, I've been saying from the start that if the Democrats truly wanted to win the election, they would have Trump be the nominee to go up against Biden because we saw how poorly Trump candidates did in the 2022 midterms. The people who he picked had, <clears throat> okay, it's one thing not to have experience. It's another thing, because there are people like Trump who didn't have political experience, but they were ready for the job. This guy, Herschel Walker, was not ready for the job. This guy, Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, was not ready for the job. This person, Kerry Lake in Arizona, was not. The list can go, I can go on and on and on and on. (coughs) So I just don't have faith that he's going to pick the right VP candidate, that he's going to pick the right cabinet. I think it's all going to be based on who agrees with everything that I say. You're exactly right. Who hates the other side as much as I do. Who and I don't think ring? and I don't think that's a winning strategy. And what we're going to see that this is going to be the first election of my lifetime and, and our lifetimes, I think it's my prediction. I'm not going to predict who's going to win or lose. I think it's 50 50 between Trump and Biden. But we're going to see very strong alternative third party candidates from the Libertarian Party to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to I think Joe Manchin is going to run as a third party candidate. Uh uh, no labels as the political party that he's rumored to to run. So there are going to be alternatives, and you're going to see a lot of people who, like me, voted for Trump but are disillusioned by him, voted for Biden but are disillusioned by him. I expect third-party candidates, as crazy as this sounds, I think they're going to combine to get more than 20% of, of the total. I would not be surprised... If the no labels party gets some support, especially if it is Kennedy that does run, the, 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 the rumors of who's running in this non labels party has been, there's been about 40 people. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, I, I don't think the libertarians will. Everybody said that that in 2016 and then that guy showed up to be, it turned out to be an absolute dunce head, which I've never met a liberal. No offense to libertarians who watch us. We love you, libertarians. But every single libertarian candidate I've ever met in my entire life was one of the single most degrading experiences to my soul and my brain. And it made me want to jump off a bridge. Um, The libertarians, they're not sending the best people. They're not doing it. They're sending their worst. They're sending their potheads. They're sending their isolationists. They're They're not the best. But at the end of the day, I, I, I think you, I think you're exactly right. It's 50-50 here. I think there's enough people who didn't come to vote for Trump that it could make get, make him win. But what I want to hear from the Trump campaign is what are they going to do differently? It, exactly. Here that they didn't yeah. do in 20 that they didn't do in 2020 because I keep hearing the election was stolen in 2020. They're going to steal it again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that you're just telling people not to vote. If you don't have a plan to fix the problem, they did this in Georgia. The reason why the Biden economy is so bad is because the Biden 
because Biden was able to spend trillions and trillions of dollars through a Democrat Senate. And that's because Trump and a bunch of populists went into Georgia yeah, and told a bunch of people, do not vote in this election. So they said, OK, we won't vote. And now two Democrats hold those hold those Georgia seats and, and, and Democrats that, a majority. And that's not what leaders do. Correct. Leaders don't. He claims to be the leader of the Republican Party, and that's where there's a faction because uh, it's what is a Republican Party? Is it Donald Trump or is it 2012 Mitt or Nikki Haley? It, it, like, it, what is what's the Republican Party? And Ron DeSantis doesn't really know. He's going both ways. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of with Trump, but I'm also kind of with you know the Mitt Romney, Mike Pence, Nikki, Nikki Haley type of people. And so that's that's causing a huge issue. That's why Georgia was lost in 2020. That's why the the midterms were a a disaster and during the midterms he was on his truth social trump was on his truth social truthing at you know 2 a.m 3 a.m in the morning celebrating republican losses because those people did not agree with him that the election was stolen <laughs> we had a senator here in colorado yes yes yeah it was colorado and he, and he comes he came out and i was like yeah it's a great thing that he lost and i'm like are you kidding me? You know Michael Bennett is the biggest abortion, one of the biggest abortion hawks in the country, and and Michael Bennett, Michael Bennett was a chair on your um in your a chair to try to get you impeached, and you're siding with him because the senator or the senator candidate from Colorado wouldn't kiss your ring. What? Well, going going back to, I think the master plan that the Democrats have is they wanted Trump from the start because they know that anybody can literally you throw any GOP candidate from whoever's polling last. Like I think Tim Scott's polling last right now uh, of the people who are going to who are slated to qualify for the next debate. Uh, So from Tim Scott to Mike Pence, who's also polling at the bottom, they'll all beat Biden. Uh, any of those candidates going all the way up to Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, they'll all be beat Biden and it, it'll be a, a electoral landslide. But with Trump, Democrats already beat him once. They had a pretty good playbook, pretty good strategy. And I thought uh, their strategy about a year ago when the Republicans lost the midterms really because of Trump and because of the abortion issue. I think those are the only two reasons why they lost. After the abysmal midterms, I thought the Democrats would be smart to indict Trump as much as possible. And then uh, because his support's going to go up, his fundraising is going to go up, his media coverage is going to go up because he was, I don't want to say he was dead in the water, but DeSantis was catching up to him and even overtook him in like California, Texas, certain polls, Florida. You win California, Texas, and Florida, you're on your way to, to winning the nomination. And so um, with the indictments, I said, well, this is a Democrat's way of pushing Trump to victory. And I think what's going to end up happening is when he gets the nomination or when it looks like he's locked up the nomination, let's say April of, of 24, March, April of 24, I think these indictments, you're going to see them magically. Exactly. You're going to mm-hmm. see them magically. Exactly. 
disappear or get thrown out. Their goal is let's drain this guy's fund. So he's using donor money to pay his legal yep. fees. Let's drain as much as possible. I don't think that's going to really cause a dent because he's just going to keep raising more money. But uh, let's drain his funding. And and then he becomes a nominee. OK, let's get rid of all the, the, the charges, the indictments. That way his there were people who were going to vote for him simply because they hated what the other side was doing. But now you appease those people by getting rid of the indictments and they may not go out. They might be like me and be like, Oh, you know, okay, good. Our, our country, our democracy is still in order. And now I'm going to go vote third party type of thing. So um, I think you're exactly right. And it's clear they were in power for three years, for two years and they did nothing. And then magically he announced for president, and all of a sudden it becomes, oh, here's all these things we could have done two years ago, but we decided not to do. Um, so all these um, rabid Republicans who are scared of the FBI and scared of government corruption, rightly, I might add, they're going to swamp to his defense. And that really helped um, the census campaign stalling out and collapsing because no one knows where he stands and everybody kind of feels like and when you were in Congress, you were this establishment Republican who who voted to raise who, who voted to raise debt and build more um, red tape. And now you're running as governor. Now you're governor, running as governor, and now you're the uber populist. And a bunch of people are worried about that. That Trump's just taken over so heavy that it looks like there, there's no other option. Now what's going to have to happen is some. I, I, I'm not sold that Trump is a nominee yet. I. Uh, I think it's more than likely that he will be, but I think there's still a chance. But it's going to require some humility from some politicians. Which I understand is nearly impossible. But people are going to have to reflect on themselves and say, hey, there are two people in this race who can legitimately challenge Donald Trump. And that's it. There are two people. I'm sorry. I think Tim Scott's a great, fun guy. But, dude, what are I you doing? I don't think he's fun. I think he's boring as heck. <laughs> Leave. Go away. Chris Christie, you, we don't, drop out, we'll still put you in the debates. I understand. Well, he, Chris Christie, yeah. you're Chris fucking Christie, hilarious. He, he, he's running for a contract, I think, with, with MSNBC. Tim oh, Scott, I think, is is running to, to be Trump's VP. Um, Mike Pence, I'm not really sure. Mike what, Pence is just running because Trump talks so much. Talk, excuse my French, talk so much shit that now Pence is like, I gotta go out there in front of people and just defend myself with this. Maybe. I, it, I think it, Pence, right. I, I honestly think that Pence is out after the third debate. And third debate comes, he drops out, he said what he needed to say, he did his defense, and he's done. I think, don't think he has any chance. He understands there's any chance. Well, I Doug Burgum wants to be Secretary of Interior so bad, it's well, embarrassing. Yeah, he, he's Burgum's not going to qualify for the third debate. Right. And I think the other three who you mentioned, I think they will drop out uh, before the Iowa. I, I don't know about after the third debate. They may not even qualify for the fourth debate, by the way. And so really, the four the four candidates, uh, of course, are, are Trump, Nikki Haley, who it looks like the the GOP is now rallying around. Ron DeSantis, who's burning through cash like crazy. Uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy, and I, and I think Vivek Ramaswamy is is a key player in all this because unlike the other candidates, he uh, nobody knew who he was like seven months ago. They'd never heard of the guy, 
And he's raised enough money. He was self-funding his campaign, and he's now raised enough money. He can only go up, given that nobody he's, knew who he was. He's, he's running for VP. Senate in Ohio. Or, or that. Or, That's or what he's going to do. Um, he's, the issue with Vivek is Vivek like, seems like a fun and moisturous guy. But when you sit down and listen to him, you go, oh, you're just Trump. If I'm going to vote for somebody, I'm just going to vote for Trump. Why would I vote for you? You're just, you're, they ask him, like, hey, who's your favorite president? He goes, Donald Trump was the greatest president in our history. He's running for president. Why are you, if you really think that, why are you also running? So I had heard of him, but I didn't know who he was fully. I had just seen him on like Turning Point, but I know nothing about the man otherwise. No, well, that's where I'm saying he's a key to all this because to me, he seems, uh, it seems like there's a very, that he's a plant, almost like a Trump plant who's in there to keep who I think is going to be Nikki Haley to keep someone like Nikki Haley from overtaking Trump because the only way you can beat Trump because he's the heavy favorite right now yeah is uh you have to go up against him one on one there can't be a guy in the middle who's going to be taking away votes from you because the Trump base is the Trump base there isn't a lot of uh, there isn't a lot of gerrymandering or moving around that Trump base. It's a solid 40% minimum. So I, I, I feel like there's some type of arrangement between Vivek and Trump because, again, Vivek can self-fund. He's a billionaire now, and yeah. he can self-fund as long... He can stay in the race as long as he wants. And if that means screwing over Nikki Haley, who he absolutely despises now, they keep going at each other like every other day on, it's on Twitter. It's the most fun part of the debate every time. It, well, it's, it's become the thing. It's just them, them two jawing at each other. And I think he's going to be glad. Whereas the other candidates, the moment they run out of money, they have to drop out. They, they, they can't to, afford yeah. to take their flights to wherever the debate's yeah, being held. This, this, is the biggest, <laughs> this is the biggest misconception that people have about political, like presidential races and even even smaller primaries, right? That, oh, you're not polling low. That's why you dropped out. No one has ever dropped out because they're polling too low. That would require humility and self-awareness no person who's ever run for president has an ounce of humility or self-awareness. It, it doesn't happen. You can't run for president and have, be humble. So uh, what happens is they run out of money. Jeb Bush in 2016, mm-hmm. we ran out of money. I mean, the bank accounts were negative. We were taking loans out to fly staff from state to state. Um, so run out of money. You can't do anything. You, gotta, you just have to drop out. Yep. And uh, that's what a lot of people, people misunderstand. So it's good to hear you. You understand that, well, you don't got money. You can't do anything. And and that's why, uh, look, I, I, I want to go back to some of the actual issues. Like, I, I want to hear your thoughts on what I said about critical race theory, because I, I think I explained it pretty well. I think this idea of canceling honors math classes or honors yeah. classes in general in the name of equity of getting rid of upper level classes, uh, of punishing people who want to learn, who are smart, who do, who do get good grades. Right. That's Marxism at its finest. That's the path to, we're already in socialism. That's the path to, to communism. And oh, yeah, we're very close. Theory, I, I just can't believe how many well-to-do, accomplished uh, parents are for critical race theory and it's solely because they hate white people. <laughs> and the reason why they hate white people is solely because of the media or yes. 
or it's it's simply because of how they were raised. Because the fact yeah. of the matter is, I'm the children of immigrants, and most children of immigrants aren't exposed to white people outside of the classroom because their parents are generally only friends with or only hang out with people of their ethnicity or their area, wherever they immigrated from. And right. I've been fortunate to, I mean, I wouldn't be, you cannot be a successful business owner anywhere, even in India, right. in Africa, without doing business with all religions, all, and all races, not yeah. just white, all races, all sexual orientations. You cannot be successful. And this idea that people think that white people run everything, that's not true. I already debunked that earlier. Right. Yeah, that white people are keeping them from being their best selves. That's not true at all. This is America. We have a Bill of Rights. We have freedoms that protect us, that we have a legal system that protects us. So it, it's just pure brainwashing. And yes. parents who understand this, like, like me, I think our kids are going to be fine. But the parents who are dependent on a public school system or who do teach their kids these divisive ideas and concepts. Mm -hmm. I've got a three-year-old son and, and he, he had a, a part, we had a party, a birthday party and he had Asian, black, Hispanic girls, boys, everyone, because when you're three years old, you just want to play, have a good time on the playground. What, right. they, they don't see color. And you don't and see color. Yeah. My wife and I, we went and saw this movie alone, uh, this Disney movie called elemental I thought it was so, I mean, that was like critical race theory just applied from beginning to end. I thought it was so divisive. I would never show, it was rated G. And I, I, I wrote a review after saying this movie should have been rated R, maybe PG-13, simply because of the thematic content of getting right. three-year-olds to start looking at themselves and other people and to start dividing and to start looking at people based on their skin color rather than the content of their character, which is what Martin Luther King wanted. Yeah, that, that movie is all, look at you, you're different, you're different, you're different. Figure out why you're different. Because you're different, you can't be nice to you, you can't be with anybody, you're different. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a well, whole I, movie. So I will say this, as a minority, um, I don't buy critical race theory just because, so, based off your definition, which is pretty much you and I see it the same way. But based on that, I feel deep down that critical race theory is inherently racist. It's racist towards white people. There's many other ways you can teach kids how to better themselves and how to teach them about history at the same time. Now, the reason I feel that way is because my mother and my father are Mexican Arabian, they have all walks of life in them, okay? We'll just put it that way. They're, they're technically minorities, by definition. Well, they didn't have any money. They both grew up poor. I mean, I, you know, I will say this. They grew up poor around rich people, I guess. So not necessarily poor, but they grew up learning what it was like to have to work for shit. So I saw my mom go from beauty school to owning her own salon. I've seen my dad go from police officer to entrepreneur to basically running his own business. Seeing that is, that's the first part of why I don't believe the idea that you hear it all the time. 
that white people are responsible for why none of us are successful, that white people are holding us down. I just don't believe it because of seeing how my parents were successful. Well, I gave you the stats also. The, the yeah, exactly. Don't support well, that white people are the most successful. <laughs> well, stats are the biggest thing, man. Like, if you look at it too, I like what you mentioned about the police, especially because a lot of people don't know this. Believe it or not, a lot of people don't know that if we're going to talk police on black crimes, the truth of the matter is, and I hate talking about this because I have nothing but respect for police officers. But statistically speaking, police officers actually kill more white people than they do black people. And no one actually knows that. You have to actually look that up. And that, to me, is just dumb that that would even be brought up in a conversation. It's like, why do we come to this? Why are we right here where we have to actually explain that? The idea that there is a group of people who are only killing one race purely because they're racist seems a little outdated to me. Well, I, let, let me just share a quick stat because I'm a I'm a stats guy. I'm a numbers guy. I'm a fact based right. guy. So in 2018, uh, there was a Washington Post, a left leaning publication, ran a study, right. and they found that the <clears throat> number of black people who were unarmed and killed by police. So they were unarmed black people killed by police was in the teens it was about 13 or 14 let's just say it was in the teens of of those of that number of black people who were unarmed killed by the police only three because the legal proceedings worked themselves out only three were unjustified killings three were unjustified killings so that means the other let's say 15 or so were justified in the case of Michael Brown in St. Louis, who was unarmed, for example, but he charged a police officer and tried to take the police officer's gun out of his casket and shoot the police officer. Um, yeah. So they're countless, or or they, or they got some uh, punched a police officer or whatever. So only three. So this huge movement that we're seeing is because we are uh, essentially fighting or or want there's, vengeance for there's those parent pushback to for those for those three people and i'm saying look yeah. those three people they're fan- it is sad their lives are gone it's certainly very sad i'm not discounting that but at the same time those three people just like george floyd just like brianna taylor their families george floyd his family was given i think 28 million dollars as a right. settlement brianna taylor her family was given around 10 million dollars uh, worth a settlement so you are compensated accordingly based on that yep. and i think Very. to have an entire movement it's just that most people don't know because the media makes it seem like white police officers are just going out killing black people left and right yeah that's the media for you that's <laughs> that's why i think that critical race theory um is as broad as it is now because when people started piping up about it, that's when the media got involved and started talking about parents being domestic terrorists and all this other crap, which is crazy because that means that it took parents to expose that. And you said it yourself, it's been implemented for a while now. Just think that if we could have stopped it a long time ago, it may not have progressed the way well, it has. To me, it's even, okay, well, the, the schools here in Florida aren't going to be teaching critical race theory, but it's not even 
it, it's a cultural issue. And so, yeah. well, they're not can, getting can it in school, but they're going to be getting it at home. They're going to be getting it at home now from their parents. And I know so many people who look just like me yeah. who still believe that this country is racist, who think oh, that people are the, the bane of their existence and they teach their kids that. And right. all you're doing is hurting yourself. You're not accomplishing. And it goes back to laziness. Everything, I think the problem is just laziness. It's I'm too lazy to learn, the, to read the stats. It's easier yep. to say that police officers are racist. I'm too lazy to read the history when it's easier to say history. Why is it called history? It should be herstory or some other <laughs> type of gender neutral, you know? It, it's not just race, it's sex, it's gender. I mean, you name it, everything is now, you have to be politically correct for everything. And it's it's a laziness. It's I don't want to learn the actual thing. I don't want right. to learn. I don't want to work the job. I just want to get paid the money. I don't want to earn the A. I just want to get the A. And the answer to everything is racism or sexism or genderism or COVIDism or climatism. The list goes on and on and on. And what you said about your parents, reverse racism is racism. If you are discriminating against one race to benefit another race, that is racism. Reverse racism is absolutely racism. 100%. My parents also. My parents came here with zero dollar. My well, they came here separately. My dad came here with zero dollars. My mom came here with close to zero dollars. Um, my dad would. I'd wake up early in the morning to go to school around six forty-five. My dad would already be gone for work. This is as early as I could remember as a three or four-year-old. He would be gone at work and he would come home. He would from 6 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. Working hard, yep. Pay the bills, pay our mortgage, you name it. Mm. Um, and and so th this idea or this concept, the left likes to say, oh, well, you have privilege and this and that. Well, yeah. my kids now do have privilege because of the struggles that we had to, to go through uh, mm -hmm. when I was a little kid, when my parents moved to this country. And then me personally, I mean, I had next to nothing in my early 20s to, you know, I think most people have. That's uh, where, yeah. People have next to nothing in their early 20s. So it's not like I was just inherited all this money. You know, not by no means that I inherit anything. I had next to nothing in my 20s. Uh, my wife, even worse situation, how she grew up and how she started out. And now she's a practicing physician. And we live a good life in Florida together with, with our two kids. This is the story of not all people, but of most people. Yeah. And the radical left, though, likes to say, oh, you don't know what it's like to be poor. You don't know what yeah. it's like to struggle, blah, blah, blah. And that's just not true at all because we work hard. I read yes. so much. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I started my own business. I've employed people. I still employ people. It, it's there's a lot more to it than racism or sexism or covidism or whatever it might be. Right. You do see that a lot on the left. And we've mentioned this numerous times in the past. Essentially, it's just that we look at it like, a, or at least me anyway, I'm not sure about Austin, but I've always looked at it like, you know, you hear people all the time on the left talking about how they're a victim of something. They never preach personal responsibility. It is always victimhood mentality. But of course, you can't say anything because that leads into you being a racist, a bigot, or so on and so forth. I mean, as a Mexican person, I've been called white privileged, which is hilarious. I love when people oh, say same. it. But yeah, same. yeah, it's you get called. And it kind of kills me because 
I try not to take it personally, but I do take it personally when someone is saying that my parents' hard work is privilege. Because not to say they had it, you know, that like, easier made, but, but I mean, they worked their ass off. They had nothing. But, but, but this is what, let's say, I mean, uh, I'll say, look, my kids, they're privileged. Right. I will give them that. I just enrolled my three-year-old son today in private lessons drum classes okay. and yeah. private lesson tennis classes on top of all the other stuff that he's doing. That's definitely privilege. But there is mm-hmm. nothing wrong with pri- – like, why are we vilifying people who are privileged? Like, Right. Why are we making people that are successful <laughs> seem evil? You know, like – Especially exactly. the privilege comes from the fact that their parents has busted their butt – to give them that privilege yes exactly i don't understand so so if if you want to vilify people should be judged let's say in the workplace it doesn't Mm -hmm. your privilege doesn't matter what matters is your output your productivity are you a good worker do people get along with you and i've seen people from poor backgrounds people from rich privileged backgrounds who can't make it in the workplace because Mm -hmm. they don't have those basic characteristics that you need to succeed in the workplace or in business so right when i hear this word privilege i keep hearing it and i and i tell people who i know are privileged and they're guilty of it they have they call it white guilt or and these people aren't even white and i'm like dude you shouldn't be apologizing that your parents bought you a car you shouldn't have that guilt when you graduated from college or med school or that your parents paid for your tuition in college or med school or whatever it is, like, why are you ashamed of that? Like, that shouldn't be something to be ashamed of. You should just come clean about it and be proud of it rather than hide it. And our right. society has, again, the radical left has has penalized success. Mm-hmm. If you are successful, that's a bad thing. I remember in the 2020 Democrat debates, this mayor of New York, de Blasio, got up there in his closing statement and he said you know when i become president i'm gonna go after the the wealthy people who make more than four hundred thousand dollars because it's not right for them to be making that much and that they are the enemies and i'm thinking to myself are you really like this is what people aspire to be like you right many parents tell their kids hey you go to school you learn so that one day you can become rich you know, yeah, make money. Yeah, exactly. Like, like money isn't everything, but this is like the main reason that motivates people to get out of bed and to go to work and to take risks and to start businesses and so, to do well in school. Yeah. And here you are saying that if you reach that level of success, I'm going to come after you because you are the enemy. That is a definition of a communist idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the issue I have with communism mostly, too, is that it looks good on paper, as they say, but I mean, realistically, man, I don't see. I have a moral problem with telling somebody that because they have more money, that I deserve some of it. I have a problem with saying like, "Oh, you make more money, so we're gonna tax you more." A lot of that stuff's weird to me. Like, I get it. We should want to share. Keyword being want. However, you shouldn't be forced to share. And I have a problem with communism for that reason. They take everybody's money and then everybody is equally poor well to me it's not even so you said it looks great on paper and every kid when they learn about it they're like oh this sounds great it does sound great on paper everyone's equal and everyone's happy right until you actually 
until you actually meet the immigrants who flee these communist nations like China yes. and Russia and Cuba, and, yeah. and they flee here and they tell you how terrible it was. And then you think about once you learn more and, you know, I'm a businessman and I, I innovate and I think about ideas and business and eco economy. And, and so if we think about this iPhone, for example, right, right. This iPhone was a creation. I mean, the, the innovation was adapted by Steve Jobs, uh, uh, an American yeah, yeah. in the United States. Um, he came up with the concept. Now, if you're a Chinese person who has an entrepreneurial mindset, you're not allowed to think that. That's considered a thought crime. You're not allowed to start your own business. You're not allowed because the government's going to take control of it. So once a government takes control of your business, what incentive do you have? You're going to be making minimum exactly. wage if you create the iPhone. So everyone there in China is like, there's no point in taking a risk and becoming an entrepreneur or what, Cuba, China, Russia. There's no point in doing that because the government's going to keep all the money. That's why everyone wants to come here and innovate. You do it there. The government takes it. You're not incentivized to, to be a, a thought leader, to be an entrepreneur. That's the biggest downfall of communism because then what that happens is when you're not incentivizing people to be their best self, then people are going to feel like, oh, I can just be that C. It's okay with me rather than getting an A. It's okay right. for me to just not study and to just get Cs and Ds because I'm still going to pass and I'm still going to get some you know, the same job that everyone else has. And you're going to dumb down society by doing that. And that's what I see happening in the United States. The dumbing down of the country yep, is a exactly. direct result of these communists, these socialists, these Marxist ideas. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the biggest thing is just like Margaret Thatcher said, event, communism is great, but eventually you run out of other people's money. You run out of other people's money. It's and and uh, I brought up libertarianism. I right. highly recommend people read *The Fountainhead* and *Atlas Shrugged*, Ayn Rand, because the thing about Ayn Rand, who's a woman, the thing about Ayn Rand is uh, she applies just standard human logic to her books. So let's say, for example, uh, your employer comes to you and says. Hey, you're getting paid $30 an hour right now. I want to lower your pay to $10 an hour. If you want to go work for my competitors, you're free to go work for my competitors who will pay you $30 an hour. So what decision is a person going to make? Okay, I'm going to leave the company, go work for $30 an hour. And that's how all of her books, it's like these logical sequences of how any human, how any rational human would behave. And when you start throwing communist ideas at rational humans, they behave accordingly, and then you see a dump, the destruction of the energy industry, high oil prices, crazy inflation, out-of-control government spending. And what happens to all those people who are being taxed at 90% plus tax rates? They say, screw this, because they're right. the creators, they're the job creators. They say, screw this, I'm just going to go follow John Galt. Who's John Galt? They follow John Galt out of the United States and uh, form their own thriving society elsewhere. And what is the United States left with? <laughs> a bunch of C and D players who are not capable of starting their own businesses, who are not capable, who are dependent on the government, who are addicted to the government, and who are dependent on an employer for their paychecks. And you see yeah. society just completely fizzle. Pretty much, yeah. That's kind of where we're headed. Um, Unfortunately, we have run over. However, I would like to formally invite you back on the show because I feel that there is a lot 
that we can dissect and digest. I mean, we've only been able to go over one topic, and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot I'd like to talk about because this is politics is kind of where my heart is. I, you know, I like to do other things, but politics is a really big deal to me. Austin is pretty much the political man. So before we do close, I would like to take this time to give you a chance to plug your information. Maybe talk a little bit about your book. Yeah, if if you like the concepts and the ideas that I, again, I think these are Ayn Rand, like very logical, rational right. concepts and ideas, okay. check out my book, Trump Book. It's on Amazon. And and I'll, I'll, I'll even give your audience, your, your viewers, a free copy of the book. So they can check out my company's website, Krish, K-R-I-S-H, MediaMarketing.com. Contact me through there or my personal website, NareshVissa.com. You'll see that in the show notes, I guess. Uh, my name, first name, last name, Naresh Vissa. Go there. Just contact me through there. Say you heard me on the podcast and you want your free copy, and I'd, I'd be glad to send you a free copy of the book. Uh, I really enjoyed the the. Con- I, I think we talked a lot more th- than just one topic i think we hit on we hit on race we hit on communism marxism true true (laughs) current people running and trump and we were able to cover a lot of ground but the biggest takeaway is definitely critical race theory if you want your children to be mediocre and not prepared for the world and not be integrative not integrate into the united states and um integrate into the workplace or even socially then study critical race theory, teach your kids critical race theory. If you want to teach your children to actually learn the the issues, the topics, the math, the science, the reading, the writing, the math, speaking, if you want them to have friends, if you want them to get married and have a family and you want to have grandchildren and uh, if, if you believe in all those ideas, then don't teach your kids critical race theory (laughs) and the last thing that i'll leave your audience with is uh right now we have a border crisis obviously not just on the southern border but also the northern border people didn't even know that the northern border is pretty much wide open for people to to come into and we see the radical leftists constantly whining and complaining saying america we talked about this all episode america's racist white people are racist america's the worst country terrible country black people are getting shot left and right by police officers and these people who are flowing into the united states i think i'm a, I'm a little uh i'm actually more optimistic because the people coming into the united states don't agree with those philosophies at all people right coming exactly into the united states are actually like those people are crazy leftists we're fleeing <laughs> right they're leaving Mexico yeah or we're fleeing those people we're fleeing, we're fleeing those people. And so yeah. when, when, when these leftists tell them, hey, don't come here to America because half the country thinks there are only two genders and that same half the country believes in God. They're crazy. They think God is real. And that same half the country, uh, you know, they think, they think racism doesn't exist. And, that, right. and then another half of, you know, this country is the most racist country in the world. These people coming in are like, God is real. Okay, people. that's not good. That's <laughs> Same not good. People. <laughs> uh, there are two genders. I mean, I had no idea that there was anything more than that. I, I was always taught that there were two genders right. and two sexes. Like, okay, that sounds. So these people coming in, I think the the radical left is going to be very surprised 
as they, at least the ones who come in legally and who, who end up voting, I think they're going to be very surprised that they're, they're not going to be politically aligned with them on these yeah. issues of education, of race, sexuality, gender, certainly climate change. I mean, this whole climate change thing is really a U.S. first world issue. The other countries yeah. are just fighting to stay alive, really. Uh, at least people in, in, in these countries are fighting to stay alive, to, to eat food, to put to, for survival. Climate change is not even on their radar. They don't even know what it is. <laughs> That's how you know it's pushed. I, you know, regardless, regardless of what people believe, man, I do fully believe that that is an agenda that's pushed on young kids and everybody, really. I mean, I'm sure there's evidence of the world changing, but... I'll say my quick thoughts on that. I'll say my... Yeah, so I think, I think when we were growing up, so I didn't see really... I grew up at the heart of 9-11. I was still in grade school. Yeah, I didn't too. face any racism. I know it was there. I know it happened. I didn't face mm -hmm. it. I didn't see it. I just never saw racism against me or my family. Uh, it's, it's actually been the opposite of race. Oh, you yep. guys are smart. You're not, your parents are have master's degrees. Like you're supposed to be good at math. To me, that's not race. Somebody's saying, I actually wasn't great at math, but... I didn't think it was racist for somebody to assume that I was good at math. Uh, yeah. I thought it was the opposite of race. I thought it was, oh, okay, that's quite complimentary of you to think so highly of me, even though I'm not that high. Right, right. Um, but I think the time for our kids, this climate agenda, because they've they've tried everything else, it didn't work. As we see in the numbers, the minorities are doing very well. At, at least people of color are doing extremely well. And so the climate thing is the next thing to scare the next generation yeah. that the world is going to end. And, and look, is the climate changing? Yes. Has the climate been changing since the beginning of mankind? Yes, it has. Could the dinosaurs have died because of climate change? Maybe. Um, we don't know for sure, just like we don't know for sure what's going to happen to the human population 5,000 years from now. But is, is the climate agenda, is it such a big issue right now? To where we need to change our way of life or that our lives are at risk no it's not uh right. are we seeing an increase in like hurricanes in florida actually no it's pretty stable 20 years ago florida saw hurricanes today florida sees hurricanes 50 years ago this has been a constant thing there are parts of the country that have not experienced warming of temperatures so like the midwest for example has actually seen a slight decline in average temperature but there are other parts of the country that have seen increases overall the world as a whole the temperature is gradually very snail's pace increasing but is right. that a threat to humankind i don't think so it, i mean it's not, not you know, yeah. every morning worrying about climate change uh and and so this i think is a fear-mongering Almost a hoax. Yep. It's it's real, but it's just not a threat. To me, it's not even a top 100 issue for the average person right. worldwide. Yeah. And you look at the trade-off of, okay, Al Gore, Al Gore said in 2006 when his Inconvenient Truth movie came out, or 2005, he said that by 2016, we would see, or sorry, by 2030 or so, we would see sea level at 20 feet. Right. Since that movie came out 15 years ago, or more than 15 years ago, the sea level has risen by about less than an inch, by, by a couple of centimeters. 
Right. At, at peaks, <laughs> we're going to see the 20 feet, the 20 foot sea level more than 5,000 years from now, if you do the math. So are we concerned about our future uh, progeny 5,000 years from now? Call me selfish, but I really don't care uh, yeah, what 5,000 years from now. Our kids will have fun. Yeah, myself and my kids will be gone by, by then. then. We'll be fine. <laughs> there's going to be... Exactly. Like, there's not even going to be, there's going to be life elsewhere by them. So yeah. when I where I mean. Yeah, I don't think any of us will be here to witness climate actually change and screw us. I don't think any of us will be here for it. Just my own personal opinion. But And that's why my philosophy is, look, if you really care about climate change, the science and the research shows that uh, you can go vegan. That yeah. apparently helps the climate a little. So <laughs> go vegan. Right, of course. Stop using air conditioning, stop driving, don't have any children. You can do all those things. The people who are the biggest fighters for climate change generally are not vegan, use air conditioning like crazy, fly yeah. on airplanes, ride cars, not EVs or electric vehicles. They ride regular cars, maybe even drive them themselves. So it's it's super hypocritical. It's just virtue signaling, again, radical leftists. Yeah don't know much about the issues and at the end of the day even if you do all those things are you really solving the problem look at what you're giving up can you imagine here in florida spending the summer without air conditioning no sorry i don't care how much the climate means it's even worse than that they're like they're sitting in their air-conditioned house and they're telling a bunch of people like sub-saharan africa hey you have to live that air conditioning <laughs> yeah exactly Fuck you and your developing country, and you don't get to have cars. All this modern stuff we got, you don't get any of it. We're, we we get it because we did this before and figured it out. But now now you guys just have to go without. Figure it out, losers. But again, this this has to do with a globalist agenda, in my opinion, because what's happening is from the top, you're having organizations that are buying and paying for this policy, and so. The United States is saying, okay, let's pass all these tax credits for solar energy and for EVs. And then they outsource almost everything still to China. And China is one of the two largest burners of fossil fuels in the entire world. And the United States has absolutely no problem with China doing whatever it needs to do for their economy to grow, for, for them to continue to try to dominate and rule the world. So the United States is hurting its own economy by being dependent on China for its products and services, by being dependent on Russia and the Middle East for its oil, and saying, well, you guys here in America, you need to use these crummy EVs or stop using air conditioning or not use these types of stoves or um, right. you know, eat differently or whatever. And so what's happening is China's catching up to the United States. And, and to me, that's why I think this is a big hoax, because it has everything to do with the United States getting weaker. We see it in the numbers. The United States is not energy independent anymore. And so we see super high gas prices right now. They've been high for the last two and a half years because we yeah. have a new administration from top to bottom who supported policies like this, who said we cannot burn fossil fuels, we cannot burn coal, we cannot uh, we, we cannot embrace nuclear energy, which does not emit any carbon. And yet the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, we still have that, saying you can't use nuclear energy. Why is that? It makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't burn any carbon. It's not, it's, it's not bad for the environment. I mean, if there is a spill or a 
something bad happens, okay, yeah, that'll be bad. But we've only seen two of those disasters really in my lifetimes worldwide. So yeah, this has everything to do with the Chinese, it's a completely different topic, but the Chinese owning our politicians, owning our U.S. companies, because China is still the largest investor in U.S. debt. They're still the largest investor in these large funds like BlackRock and Vanguard, mm. huge investors. So they have a say in what their policies, what these company policies should be and what politician policies should be. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, oh, shoot. Austin, is, is there anything you wanted to throw in before I... No, I think I think um, it's great. I'm looking forward to having them on again, and we will definitely um, yes. uh, get you in again. That sounds good. As the the race heats up, uh, I'd love to to come back on. My prediction, just to end things, um, I think there are two different scenarios. You have the standard 2020 rematch, or you have the complete opposite, where it could be two completely different candidates like a Gavin Newsom versus Nikki Haley or Gavin Newsom versus I, I actually think Vivek Ramaswamy has a better chance if Trump were out of the picture than than uh, Nikki Haley so those are my predictions well can't wait to have you back um I'll reach out to you soon we'll see if we can set something up it's been a pleasure man I really appreciate having you on I actually learned a lot more uh, Austin's the smarter one out of us, so I, I learned a lot. But for those of you listening, if you like what you heard here and you want to check out more, please go to thegreatgirthpodcast.com. I am Tony here with my buddy Austin. Austin, sir, I'll see you on the next one. Adios. All right, thank you.